We're back. America calls Clyde Black, a fool brown, and Anthony somewhere in the confusing middle. We're three brothers, various shades of brown, bringing you the latest in tech, business, and startups mixed with a ton of sarcasm. Cue the music. Okay, welcome everybody. We're back. This is the Whiskey Hue. Uh, we're doing the Prof P series, which is a Professor Prashar. That's me, and we're going to be doing this. I would love to have had our guest in class in person today. Of course, he's a busy man, so we couldn't get him in class. He's in the Bay Area, and I wanted to make sure that there's so much knowledge that we can cite from him, that he his experience, his depth of experience, and I wanted you all to gain from him. So we this is the next best thing to get Chris Ye in our... We're going to have a little interview with him, and you're going to get to hear this. We're going to put it through our Whiskey Who podcast stream, Fordham will promote it, and all of that. So the world will get to hear this uh, as it should. Uh, so Chris Ye, he's everything. If you just look at, you know, investor, writer, mentor, entrepreneur. Two years ago, we briefly met through a good friend, uh, Julia. She introduced us, and we actually co-invested in a company. Uh, That's you and right. I, right. I actually, actually catch up with Julia. So uh, we met through her, and Blitzscaling Everything, if you just look up, and our students did, if you look up your name, Blitzscaling, of course, the book, we're going to get into that, co-authored with Reed Hoffman, founder of LinkedIn, you both have done some incredible work together. You've also founded Blitzscale Ventures, and then you have Blitzscale, you're Scaling Academy, I think, uh, you know, the Global Academy, we can get into all of that. You're a Stanford instructor, you're still doing that? Uh, once in a while, I'm mainly coming in as a guest speaker these days, uh, mainly because Stanford does not pay me anything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> That's understood. And The Alliance is the book that was prior to this. And I just came to know of this book very recently, and I actually have it now. And I'm just getting into it. So it's around the network, building your community, not necessarily pegged to your company, but carrying that community with you onwards. We'll put it in that way, right? We'll put it and we'll reference that in a moment as well. So fill in in a few minutes some of the gaps uh, that we have that I just left there. But there, there's so many things that I could you know, introduce you as. But why don't you jump in and just give me a few more tidbits for the for the class? Sure thing. So a couple of things. The first thing is I always use the line, unlike most people in this industry where you have venture capitalists with the side hustle of being an author, I'm an author with the side hustle of being a venture capitalist. <laughs> I always introduce myself as an author because it sounds a lot more fun at parties, especially around here where there is a lot of venture capitalists. So Fair. that's my headline. But you know where I came from is originally I grew up in Southern California and then came up to Northern California, Silicon Valley to go to school at Stanford. I had no idea about business, no idea about startups, no idea about venture capital. I was just studying stuff that I thought was cool, like creative writing and product design engineering. And one of the, by the way, one of the things that the the listeners are missing out on that I'm getting because I'm on video is you know Prof P is very cool. He's got a red hoodie on. He's got the Nike art in the background. I mean, this is like the. Ultimate and cool. It's very nice. Big Michael Jordan fan over here. I'm a Chicago guy, so <laughs> absolutely. You watch the Last Dance. Looking forward to that. Now they got that uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon movie coming up, right? You gonna check that I, out? Know, I, I, it's coming out. I think in April. I think or, or, or late. It's funny because I, they haven't revealed who's playing Michael Jordan. You can't even Google it. Uh, so they never show him. They only show Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. But yeah, carry on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, went to Stanford as an undergrad around the time I was graduating because I'm really old. That's when the Internet started to really hit. 
And so instead of doing a conventional career, I went into the startup world right out of college and I've been there ever since. So it's been 27, almost 28 years now and have had the good fortune to be involved in some companies that were successful on the way and the good fortune to be involved in many companies that failed along the way. And uh, I had met my co-author, Reed Hoffman, very famous guy, back when he was starting LinkedIn. And we started writing books together back uh, about a decade ago. And just uh, it's been a fantastic experience ever since. Wow, that's fascinating. And did you, did, were you an early investor in LinkedIn? Do you mind, am I asking? Sadly, no. When people okay. ask me, what's your greatest regret financially? I have a very simple answer, <laughs> which is the early days of LinkedIn, when it launched, I was advocating for the company. I ran events at Harvard Business School for the alumni to convince people to sign up for LinkedIn. I knew Reed was a brilliant guy, but I wasn't yet doing any investing. So if gotcha. I had invested at that point, that would be, you know, a classic like 5,000x return on my money or something like that. <laughs> that would have been very handy. Who doesn't need an extra, you know, 20, 30 million dollars? But I'm not bitter about it. Not at all. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. And you, and you continue to do work together. So you are, I'm assuming there's another book in the, in the works. There's other books in the works. There's other projects that we do. We often podcast together on the Greylock Partners podcast feed called Gray Matter, where we talk about everything from blitzscaling to philosophy. And there will be more coming soon. So depending on when this podcast drops, you may hear about some of it. Oh, excellent. Okay, great. And, you know, there's so many different realms. Let's start off with the books first, because that's, mm-hmm. that's the most accessible, tangible that's out there for everyone to see. Do you want to start with the alliance that we jump into blitzscaling? I love the premises. I want to ask you some questions. I want to see if there's some challenges that we can uh, pull from blitzscaling in, 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 in respects to that whole uh, ecosystem. But jump into the alliance. I, I literally just came to know of this book and I just uh, in the last three weeks. And when it, you know, and then it's it's pretty exciting. It's it, common sense. And it kind of led to LinkedIn. It kind of, you know, could seems you go with it. Run with that. Absolutely. So The Alliance is the book that Reed and I wrote with our other friend, Ben Kaznoka. It is a sequel, if you will, to their previous book, The Startup of You, which is all about how individuals should view themselves as the CEO of their own career. It's like being the CEO mm-hmm. of a startup. You got to take chances. You got to build a network. You got to do all these different things. And the question becomes, all right, well, if people view this, their careers in this way, how do you manage them? And so that's what the alliance is all about. And the alliance says, hey, listen, you know, we used to have this model in our mind. You join a company, you work there for 30 years, you work your way up, you retire, you get a pension. Guess what? Those days are gone. Hmm. And the question is, how do you build loyalty and connection and a productive career in a world where that's no longer true? And the core thesis behind the alliance is you have to think about the relationship in a different way. Don't think about companies as being like a family because guess what? You can't fire family members. But don't think about companies as a collection of mercenaries either because if that's the case, you're never going to stick anywhere long enough to get anything good done. You have to think of yourself as allies. So the company and the employee and the manager and the employee are allies, which is to say they're parties that are independent but coming together to work towards a common cause. And in the case of the company and the employee or the manager and the employee, it's usually an important mission. Open up this new office, launch this new product. And if you accomplish that mission, it's going to be good for the company and the manager and good for the individual employee. And over time, if you do more and more of these missions, what we call tours of duty, you may stay longer at that particular company. But even if you leave, you'll have left your mark. You'll be more employable. And that company will be able to continue to maintain a relationship with you 
long after you've stopped working for them because you'll be a member of a corporate alumni network. I love that. You don't strip, strip yourself out of this. Who, who is someone that you could say, if someone could visualize and say they've done exactly that? So if we want to think about an individual who really exemplifies this, uh, there's a guy named Kevin Scott who is the chief technology officer of Microsoft. And Kevin Scott used to be the VP of engineering and then CTO for LinkedIn, which is how I got to know Kevin. He's an incredible guy, just a remarkable human being, obviously enormously successful as well. And what Kevin did is at LinkedIn, when he would interview job candidates, so he was obviously interviewing every engineer, he would ask them as their very first question, what is the job you would like to have after you leave LinkedIn? Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Great. And it's so important because, you know, in this relationship, when you have, again, most circumstances, occasionally we get these crazy times when it's like war for talent, but most of the time, there's a power imbalance between the hiring manager and the job candidate because presumably the candidate wants the job. And so we go through this crazy rigmarole where the candidate has to pretend that they're going to join this company and stay forever. And that's completely untrue. And yet we all have to say it anyways, which is nuts. And so Kevin's question basically gives people permission. Hey, tell me about what you really want to do with your life. And let's figure out if this is the best place to do it or not. I love that. And that comes from a place of security. We know that let's extract as much value in the short time we have together. Uh, that helps us all be better, more holistic players in this kind of society and world. Okay, I get it, professionally and personally. Okay, great. And then do you want to just kind of naturally gravitate towards the Blitzscaling book, which I think will Absolutely. take up a portion of our book, uh, conversation here as well? You got it. So Blitzscaling came about because... Reed and I were thinking about what's the book we wanted to write next. We asked Ben to write it with us. He's like, hell no, I'm tired of writing books. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) Writing books isn't for everyone. And we were trying to figure out what to write about. And Reed noticed, hey, there's a couple of interesting things that are happening. First of all, this is in the 2015-2016 timeframe. The term unicorn is becoming very popular. There were companies, privately held companies being worth over a billion dollars. People started coming with all sorts of crazy terms, decacorn, whatever. But the whole point is there were companies that were more valuable more quickly than ever before. And the question was, why is that? And the second branch of it is a disproportionate number of them were based in Silicon Valley. And even today, a disproportionate number of the world's most valuable companies are based in Silicon Valley, especially since it's a small place. And so the question is, are these two things related and why are they happening? And so that's where Blitzscaling came from. We went and said, let's take a look at these companies and figure out what do they all have in common. And it's not just they're in Silicon Valley, because obviously there are companies like Microsoft and Amazon that have become enormously valuable as well. Now companies all around the world, like in Alibaba and China and, and mm-hmm. what have you, all over. Uh, plenty of companies in India as well. And what we concluded is the world has changed. Thanks to the internet, we're all connected together. There are more networks than ever before, which means there are more network effects than ever before, which means that there are increasingly large number of winner-take-most markets. And in a winner-take-most market, if you win the market by getting to scale first, then you will own the market for however many decades and print money along Mm -hmm. the way. And that's why these companies are so enormously valuable because they have an exponentially growing user base, a growing value per user thanks to the network effects, and that result gets you to higher market caps in a shorter period of time. And so we wrote this book to explain this phenomenon because the problem with this effect is that historically it goes against almost every kind of business principle. Like to focus on speed ahead of efficiency seems crazy. And so the only people who did it were people who were 
well, crazy megalomaniacs. Right? There's a reason why there's a disproportionate sure. number of megalomaniacs among the, the, the founders of these great companies. And so we wanted to demystify this and make this something that everyone understood so that we could have more startups, better startups, and frankly, non-megalomaniacs running those startups. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. You brought up some, there's so many questions I've just drawn from what you just mentioned. Yeah. So last 10 years, companies have scaled to become significantly larger than we ever thought. So, you know, uh, let's say 20, let's, let's take 20 as a safe number. 20 years ago, if you had a $300 million fund and had a 1 billion exit, you 3X the fund, you're a legend. Yeah. Right. Now it has to be a billion dollar level investment at a 10 billion valuation. It got a little frothy in the last two years. Let's exclude those. Let's jump there for a second. You know, it was odd to see getting a 100x return at a Series C or or a 10x, 15x. You shouldn't be getting that. That should be in the earlier stages. That's right. Uh, but you were getting that because of these frothy valuations. We're coming back to earth now. So it's all in equal balance. Hopefully we're getting there. Still a lot of dry capital. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the markets are just larger. There's the global play. Uh, that may may or may not, there might be a tug of war there, what we do uh, moving forward. But you said so many interesting points there. Okay, so Zuckerberg, let's, okay, let's take another nugget. Zuckerberg, he's known for saying, hey, move fast and break things, I think. That's or, right. right? Uh, he's a perfect example. Now, you said decades, right? If you build and you get there fast, he captured that market. You decades. Now we're 15-ish tw- years now, so the sales... Advertising sales are going to be slowing down. So he's looking yeah. at the next frontier, right? A lot of people knock him for it. It's funny that Zuckerberg, Congress has beaten up on him of all the tech giants, but now he's kind of the good guy now because Elon's become Elon, right? And Elon's <laughs> a genius, right? And I know you have yes. some thoughts on him, which oh, I yes. love, and I want to talk to you about that uh, in a moment. But Zuckerberg is becoming like the good guy. He's now the guy, oh, he's doing it. He's, you know, he's, he's married, happily married. He does the right thing with by his kids. So far, we're seeing. So he's becoming like now the stalwart. Uh, and he's, but they still beat up on what he's trying to do with the metaverse. I think it's, hey, he sees a, a, a down cycle, kind of a downturn of what his core business was. So he has to look at the next frontier. Should he be going this deep into it? According to your book, yes, right? Yeah, so let's okay. talk about Zuck and Facebook yeah. and the metaverse and all these sorts of things. So uh, I think that one of the things that I like to point out, I will say decades and not forever because yeah. no empire yeah. lasts forever. No product cycle lasts forever. Some last a really long time. The iPhone product cycles lasted a really long time. Yeah. But Facebook is 20 years in now, and it yeah. should be no surprise that a company that began 20 years ago, their core market, they still dominate, but that core market is becoming less important. Microsoft, one of the most, most valuable companies, is valuable because of businesses that they built since they became Microsoft, right? The desktop operating system monopoly still there, but not as valuable. If they didn't have Azure and things like that, they would be nowhere close, right? That was yeah. one of the things that caused them to sort of trail off during the Balmer years. They weren't bringing out new products. So Zuckerberg correctly senses that he needs to expand. He needs to find new things. And he did that cleverly before by buying Instagram and WhatsApp, brilliant moves. And he's now doing it by betting on the metaverse. And I do not criticize him betting on the metaverse. I believe that his bet on the metaverse is ultimately a good one because, as I point point out to people all the time, real life sucks. Fake life is better. People are going to want to spend time in fake life rather than real life. So it's a great long-term play. Every science fiction author will tell you. I feel like we're becoming TMZ Kardashian-esque here right now in this conversation. I'm kidding. Go with it. I get get exactly what you're saying. But it's true. It's true. Just picture the holodeck from Star Trek, right? I mean, these, these people 
people on the start on the Starship Enterprise, they're in the holodeck all the time. Why? Because it's more fun to be Robin Hood or a gangster or be yeah. in a place where, you know, everyone thinks you're the coolest dude in the world rather than in real life where, well, that's usually not the case. <laughs> so it's a great long term bet. Where I criticize Zuckerberg and Meta in their Metaverse adventure is that they, A, have hyped it up and B, have executed it horribly. And Mm. that's the bottom line. You still have to execute. You have the right strategy, but if your execution is crap, it's not going to work. And their products are still crap. And people do not buy an idea. They buy a product. And that's so that's okay initially, right? As long as they prove proof of concept over time. Like, so I, I've always said in the crypto metaverse space, 98% of it's going to be garbage, just like in yeah. the dot com era. But you'll get the Amazons and all these folks that will come out of that world, right? Google eventually came out of the well, a couple of years later, before the, the the recession, but then the Great Recession. But, you know, they were like 2003, 2004-ish. They kind of hit their mark and they started just yeah. running forward. He's, he's doing that. Yeah. He's going to be one of several players in that space. He's been known, okay, he hasn't really innovated exactly what you said. They've acquired their way into relevancy since the first core product, right? And even that core product, Technically, it was three other people, the twins and that other Indian guy, right? <laughs> exactly. Technically, uh, if you've seen the, if you kind of understand the whole story behind him. And so, but then, you know, so the Instagram, WhatsApp, WhatsApp, they're actually monetizing, and I think in pockets of Asia, they're trying to do what Ali, you know, uh, we, uh, WeChat, no, WeChat, WeChat? Yeah, they're tra- they got, yeah. yeah, they're trying to do what WeChat was doing, be a super. And I'm, I'm assuming that's where Elon wants to go, Twitter, eventually, you know, try to get a payment system, and we'll talk about that in a moment, because yeah. that's where he started his career, right, with X, uh, what X.com, you got it. X.com, yeah. And then PayPal, and he jumped into that whole play as they, as they, they acquired, one acquired the other. And then, so, this is, hopefully he gets this right, because he hasn't really had to innovate. You know, it's kind of like Microsoft, you know, they've, they've, They've kind of been innovative in their the role. Like Satya Nadella, you have to give him kudos. Yeah. They've made that company sexy again. When your your products on the sidelines, instead of Apple of the NFL, instead of Apple products, you'd think it would be an Apple because they're the sexy brand, right? Microsoft's the Surface is becoming kind of sexy again, right? And Azure has still market small market share compared to AWS and all that, but they solved an internal problem, brought it to market, and here we are. Uh, it's amazing. So I'm excited to see what he does there. Apple has their headwear coming out later this year, but they're going to be in a premium play, and oh, that's yeah. kind of how they. You see, like Teslas, you'd put out the more expensive model first that subsidizes the kind of next tier in. Yeah. Um, so you, you, so you're a believer in it eventually. Uh, I believe I'm a believer in it eventually, but the technology has to be good enough. It's just not good enough. Yeah. I mean, somebody. This is the previous generation, but during the pandemic, somebody wanted me to do a virtual event, and they literally sent me an Oculus Quest. Oh, geez. To use for the virtual event, and then the morning of, they're like, "We can't get it to work. We're just going to do a Zoom." And so I have this Oculus Quest. I used it once, which was when I was preparing in case I was going to do this event in virtual space. I have a brand new Oculus Quest and I tried it out and was like kind of cool, but it's not compelling enough to actually open it up again. I mean, I'm literally, I should just give it away to someone. That's funny. Okay. And so some of these things sometimes are ahead of time, their time, right? Because I, I was yeah. at a conference in 2013. The Google was a Google Glass, right? Google Glass. I don't even think you could buy it, but a friend of mine had it. I think he had he sent it to as a test product, whatever it was, he had it. Because I don't think you could buy them on the market at the time. And then we I tried it on. It was pretty incredible. But then in some of your cars you have that heads up display. I found it distracting, but then that's just maybe my old eyes. Get you have yeah. to get used to it. But that's probably where we're going with these things. Like the phone may go away and we'll get to have some sort of headwear that we're walking down the street, our GPS, we're following our right, our Google Maps. 
uh, you know, or whatever we're doing it through, and it'll be a heads-up display through some sort of eyewear, I'm assuming, or some other thing, and we'll yeah. be getting rid of these phones. Why have another piece of hardware, right? I'm assuming uh, that you have to hold, hold and carry. So we might be going in this direction. Um, blitz scaling, let's get back to it. What yes. else can you give us? So Zuckerberg, clearly it worked for him, you know, in that space. Amazon, uh, Google, you could say. Yes. Let's take it to like smaller companies. Let's go to, what's the payment? Stripe. Stripe, yes. right? So they had almost a $100 billion valuation. I think this is about 18 months ago, two years ago, maybe now. Now they're raising it around a 50, like a down round of sorts, mm-hmm. like 55, mm-hmm. 60 billion, I believe. So if you look at them, the next player that's in that space, I think it's, it starts with A, I think Aiden or something like that. Yeah. In, in that payments platform. So you, let's look at them. They they admitted, the Carlson brothers just kind of came out and said, we we hired too much, too quickly. Yep. So can, they tried to do the blitz scaling because I guess they tried to take take advantage of hey, low you know uh, liquid liquid markets, uh, low cost of capital. Let's overhire. There's so many things I want to get out of here because you know this yeah. space really well. Like okay, absolutely. You get the, the initial employees anywhere. Your next 100, 200, 1,000, 10,000 are never going to be as productive as the first layer. But explain that. So they did that blitzscaling method. Yeah. But now they're pulling back from So what did they do wrong in, in that space? Excellent question. They fell into a trap that a lot of other people fell into, which is they treated pandemic era metrics as a permanent shift rather than a temporary mm. shift. So if you think about it. What happened during the pandemic? Everyone was locked up, which then triggered this enormous surge in e-commerce. And people were like, oh, my God, this is multiple decades of progress in a single year. This is incredible. And guess who benefited? Well, Stripe, which is powering most of those e-commerce platforms as their payment system. So, of course, their revenues shot up and they're like, this is fantastic. We've got this permanent shift to e-commerce. Let's start hiring in order to be able to handle the fact that we have just suddenly doubled our revenue. And that's great. Until revenue starts going backwards. Because guess what people don't like doing? Sitting at home all day long. They would rather go out. And when they go out and they're actually at a coffee shop and they're paying, they're not paying and going through the Stripe system. And so Stripe is losing out on all those revenues. So they overhired because the world started shifting back closer to normal. It's still not completely back to normal, but e-commerce took a giant hit because guess what? People like being outside their homes. Now, the question would become, okay, was it a good idea for them to grow then? Could they have known? You know, you could have looked at it and said, what is the competitive advantage we get by hiring this many people now? Because blitzscaling is ultimately all about competitive advantage. You are growing not for the sake of growth, but because that growth and the scale that you can obtain somehow gives you a competitive advantage. If you can't identify the competitive advantage that your actions are going to bring you, then there's no reason to grow. People forget and they just grow for the sake of growth because they think growth is always good. And that's a pretty good heuristic, but it's not 100% right. Yeah. Okay. That makes perfect sense. You know, let's let's park there for a moment. Let's just show. So Google, they have, I think, 180, 190,000 employees, let's say. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to assume safely that, you know, they're not as anywhere near as productive as Sergey and Page were initially, right? Yeah. And the the core founding team, let's just say. So we can draw this back. So large companies, they overhired because hey, it was, it was, they didn't expect that last 20,000 of the 180,000 employees to be as productive as the first 5,000, let's say. But they... 
you know, cost of capital is cheap. A lot of perks they were offering to get people in, and they were yep. poaching each other's. You know, Facebook was hiring from Apple. Apple had done that to Facebook. They had and in Google, they were all doing this, and they would offer these perks. The perks have gone up. So that industry salary compensation packages that may change yeah. for a while. But let's park there for a second. They're letting go of people a mm-hmm. because they know they've overhired. They mm-hmm. don't need to. Their balance sheets are incredibly strong. All these yeah. tech companies. Let's just let's yeah. just park there in the easy space. Tech companies, yeah. incredibly strong balance sheets. They don't need to, but they know they to show that they're good operators to investors. Let's trim some folks down. I'm assuming once things kind of turn around, they'll find new ways to deploy that and maybe bring them back in other capacities. Yeah. But it's a great way to trim fat uh, on PC way of saying it. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, so I think that there's no question that a company like Google is incredibly bloated. And Twitter was bloated as well. They had more all, people all these than they Apple, I'm sure, I'm sure they all are, right? Yeah, I think Google is exceptionally bloated, though, because Google <laughs> sure. is typically not run as a business. Google is run as a playground for engineers. Fair. And so, you know, forever, whenever people were considering different jobs, I would say, hey, if you're looking to retire, you should go work for Google. And, oh my God. you know, that's something that everyone at Google kind of knew. And now they're starting to crack down on it because they realized, hey, even though we have infinite money or so it seems, at some point in time, we may need to spend some of this on acquisitions or sure. to fight off, you know, chat GPT or what have you. So yeah. we got to actually get into fighting shape. And I think that's why they're doing it. Now, one of the things I would say is, you know, People were like, oh, it was so good before. People could go there, work, and, and get paid a lot of money and not have to do much. I'm like, that's bad. That's bad because those are incredible human minds, some of the smartest mm-hmm. people in the world, getting paid to sit around and do nothing. And they were not, as a result, making humanity better. So Fair. Google wasn't doing the human race any favors by employing more people than it needed to employ. That's a great – you know, and, I, and I'm not going to mention uh, – okay, a dear friend of mine, but I'm not going to mention the name, but, you know – Great role at Google. Let's put yeah. him there. Yeah. Could be he or she. I'm not gonna, yeah. It's going to yeah. be very hard to peg this person, so I don't want yeah. Google coming after this person. Absolutely. So he or she was uh, biking for two months in South America, uh, you know, on Google's dime. I'm just yeah. saying. These are things that were they're getting away with, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, uh, and it wasn't like they were remote working. They was kind of understood. We're just doing our thing. Uh, so, yeah. And, and this is true at Facebook and all of it. Yeah. Maybe like you're saying, can we drill this down? And I, so mm-hmm. I want to teeter back between SMB, small, small and medium-sized businesses, and these yeah. conglomerates, let's say. So let's drill this back. So I would love your take because you've seen a, a lot more companies even than I probably have. Uh, so, and, and we've looked at quite a few. So- mm-hmm. We just said this. In a startup, you need, we just mentioned, in Google, 180,000, you have your, I would say, 2 to 5% are A-plus performers. Yeah. You have a layer of A, A-minus. You have another 20% that's probably in that B range. And you have some that are C. You won't get too many below that, probably. But you'll have 50% yeah, because of your if you have enough money, you don't have B. to put up with bad people. Exactly. So in a startup, you really need everyone to be A-plus performers. Online, on mission. So I want to ask you examples of two a, when you've had that, what was the secret sauce that you've had that in a small company you've invested in or you've been a part of that it just clicked, everyone is an A-plus performer? Then I'm going to ask you the counter to it because I want our students to learn from this kind of. Oh, yes. So give absolutely. me an example of that. Yeah. Well, here's here's a great example. Um, you know, at, during you, you mentioned the, the Great Recession at one point. During the Great Recession, I just finished being CEO of a company called Ustream, which is a live video pioneer. And I was trying to figure out something to do. I was thinking about starting another company that I'm like, no, you know, the economy is going to go to hell. I knew because of the subprime mortgages. I'm like, these these uh, these variable rate mortgages are come up. They're not going to get paid. This 
is all going to go to hell in a handbasket. I should find a lifeboat that's larger right now rather than trying to start one from scratch. And I ended up joining a company called PB Wiki that some friends of mine had started. And there were reasons, the reasons I joined were, of course, I was like, oh, I think that there could be a good business here. I can make some money. But the other reason is the founders were really good at connecting with brilliant engineers in Silicon Valley and building community and doing all these different things. And part of the deal was, hey, listen, I'm going to join your company. I'm going to help make you successful. But you got to connect me with this sort of next generation of brilliant, brilliant engineers. And when I okay. think of the core team that was there when I joined it, I mean, these are folks who then went on to very senior roles at Twitter and Slack and uh, Pinterest and, and so on and so forth. Right. They, there was a, a there was a, a murderer's row of talent. And part of the way that they had assembled this murderer's row of talent was by looking beyond what was typical. I, one of the most brilliant guys that came in, uh, he was Canadian. He was a young guy in Nova Scotia. Nobody looks in Nova Scotia, at least back in those <laughs> days. But our founder found him online somehow and brought him to Silicon Valley. And then he's become an enormously successful technical guy who's worked at the best companies in the world. And so it really takes the founder having that personal touch, really building a culture and building a community because that's what a company is, this community. It's not a family yeah. because you can, yeah. you're, you may have to fire people at some point in time where people may leave. They get an even better opportunity. Who knows? But True. it is a community. And if you build a great community that people want to be a part of, build a great team that people want to be a part of, then you're going to be able to attract better talent. Now, mm. the contrast to that would be when I started my first company. And this was during the dot-com boom, the craziest days of the dot-com boom. And I started this company, and it was so hard to hire anyone at that point in time, right? Because everyone wanted to start a company, and everyone was in demand. And, and so we hired people, and I would ask over and over, is this the best we can do? And mm. the hiring VVHR, whatever, would say, yeah, you know, this is this is the best we can do. I'm like, okay, you know, I'll sign off on it, but I don't like it. And, you know, we built up a team. It ended up being at its peak about 40 people, and the crash came, and it all went. And I was like, after, you know, after three months after the crash, I'm like, it's amazing to me that we can get more done with six people than we can get done with 40. Wow. And that's because, you know, bad people are actually a negative drain on productivity. I'm going to need the names of those 34 people. If you don't mind, just mention them. I'm, ki I'm kidding. Right, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but let me tell I me, mean, just to be clear how bad this was, yeah. um, the head of IT was stealing from us. He was secretly <sighs> ordering uh, ordering equipment and having it delivered to his house and then selling it to other people. Our, wow. our CFO was not smart enough to catch that. Our VP of HR, it turns out, was pre was a convicted drug dealer and had previously been disbarred. One of the Good engineers test. we discovered was actually working two different jobs, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. We were his afternoon job. Right? This wow. is the kind of stuff I found out afterwards. I'm like, Jesus, you know, this is what happens when you relax your standards. So, okay, so I, you went criminal. Okay, I didn't expect that. Uh, okay, I appreciate that. But I was, so how, let me, then let how me about be clear. The VP of HR, who was a convicted drug dealer and had been disbarred, he had done his time and paid his debt to society. He wasn't a criminal then. The, the, okay. the, uh, the head of IT was a criminal, but the head of HR was just an so ex-con. ex-jail person is okay, but okay, gotcha. Yeah. Future yeah. jail person, not so great. I get yeah. it. Uh, now, okay, so let's let's go in the less criminal activity space. So I love it, though. Those are great stories. Thank you. If you – how – folks that – 
you know that could be delivering more, that could deliver yeah. more, have greater potential there. How do you motivate some of those folks? It's incredibly difficult sometimes. Sometimes you can. What have you used that's worked and what do you do when it doesn't? And how quickly well, do you act? Well, <laughs> what, I use, what I use, the thing that I use that works the best is just, you know, I, have, I, I think you can do more. I think that you're capable of more and tell me what it is you need to be able to do more. And if the answer is more money, that's not actually an answer, right? It just tells me mm-hmm. that you think you're underpaid and maybe you should find a job. If we can't pay you more, you should find a job where someone can pay you what you're looking for. Sure. But you got to tell people, look, I think mm-hmm. I believe I believe in you and I think you could do more. And that's the basic answer. Now, you know, in actuality, what ends up happening is if you can't reach a person, you got to move on. And yeah. I've, I've said this in a board meeting just the other day because the person who was the CFO of the company was really not delivering and they were going to manage him out. And the CEO, who's a very compassionate guy, he's, this is an impact company, he's doing good things for the world, was like saying, oh, I don't know. And I said, you know, listen, in my experience, I've never heard someone tell me, you know what, I fired a low performer too early. Oh, never. that's great. That's I have great. been doing this for almost 30 years. I've never heard that. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I've been in situations like this uh, where, you know, let's say there's five people and one or two people are delivering 70% of the work. It's just incredibly yeah. unfair. All five people want the same exact results. Yeah. But only one or two are kind of putting in the effort to get those results. And the other ones are just kind of hanging out. Right, yeah. and then you and it's try to, to have motivation. You're going to demotivate the people who are actually yes. doing the work. It, you yeah. don't and do then, any favors by keeping people around if they aren't delivering. Yeah, I get it. Okay, and then sometimes you build brands with them. You say, okay, this isn't working, so we got to sort that out. Um, and then I'll be fair. Early in my career, when I was a techie, I was a computer developer. I was good. Ish, I could have been great, but I was applying towards my next endeavor. Yeah. I was a lot of my energy and resources towards that, and I could have been a better contributor to that team. I was good. I was good enough, and I was great, and I was getting my promotions. But I could have been great. Uh, I actually think I knew I wasn't going to be great in that role. It wasn't satisfactory for me because I knew I wanted to move on and more get into more finance media space. So that's what it was. But yeah, I've been on both sides of that. Uh, could, yeah. And a by good the and way, bad contributor. By the way, because you were good enough, the company was still happy that you were there. Right. You okay. cannot. So the notion that, you know, what I want are employees who are 100 percent loyal. I'm like, no, I want people who are productive. I mean, speaking of Elon, very famously, there yes. was this product manager who was like the biggest Elon loyalist defending him all the way. And he just fired her because she was in charge of the blue checkmark product. And I guess he didn't like the way it was handled. And it didn't matter how loyal she was. He still fired her ass. And right. so you just look at that situation and say, listen, you know, people care about results. Asking people for loyalty or even blind loyalty, that's not going to get you anywhere. Uh, I yeah. often like to tell people, hey, you know what? The people who are best at getting blind loyalty are cults. I have not noticed a lot of cults selling best-selling software. They're not, they're not IPOing, uh, right? No. <laughs> I get it. Uh, you know, he, okay, let's, let's get on Elon for a second. Let's, I mean, speak about him because, hey, we know there's pros and cons to everything he does, right? Sure. Uh, not everything he does. Some things are just in the pro range. Some things are very con. Uh, you know, so let's, we can dif- differentiate that way. So one thing he did do is in this tech space, he showed that you can get rid of 75% of this bloated employee base yeah. and still operate. Yeah. I haven't seen much change. Uh, I think in the next election cycle, it's going to change again, uh, you know, kind of become more toxic. Uh, but yep. you can, you know, I like the channels. I like what I follow. And then you can find what you want to find. But have you seen any kind of uh, 
muted experience? You know, I would say that there's been a few more glitches. And of course, I experienced the same thing other people did, which is Elon Musk's tweets suddenly showing up on my timeline where they never did before. Fair. Uh, but, yeah. you, but, you know, when it comes to what Elon's done at Twitter, I do not have any criticism of him for laying people off. And I yeah. think that that was one of the most bloated organizations I'd ever seen. I wasn't yeah. personally involved with it, but I remember talking with a, a friend of mine who worked in the same building. She's like, oh, my God, those were the laziest employees I've ever seen in my life. There was literally a TikTok I watched of some engineer at Twitter saying, you know, earlier in my career, I worked at some startups. I worked on weekends. I'm not proud of it. I'm glad to say here at Twitter, you know, we do things the right way. Nobody works on weekends. I'm like, oh, my God. Or we or weekdays, apparently. <laughs> or weekdays. I mean, holy crap. How dumb is okay. this guy to put this out on TikTok? What is he thinking? That's hilarious. Uh, so I think that firing people, no problem. The way he went about it was yeah. the problematic part. If you're going to lay people off, there's a right way to do it. And to say, listen, here's how we're going to figure out how to lay people off. If you want to take a voluntary severance package, here's how we're going to do it. And then when you say you're going to do something, you actually follow through instead of saying, hey, I'm not going to pay you anything and, and try to sue me if you want. Right. right. This is yeah. what's wrong. It's the execution rather than the idea. The core idea of Twitter needs to slim down is a smart one. The way he executed it was a bad one. And then, of course, you know, going out of his way to repel all of the major advertisers is also probably not a smart idea. Yeah, not smart at all, especially when that's when you're trying to go where you're trying to go. So he is trying to convert that to a subscription model as Facebook Good is luck. now doing. Yeah, exactly. Facebook might have better luck doing it, but they only had, I think, a hundred, couple hundred thousand folks sign up. Uh, is, yeah. is that true? So... So subscription models, the reason, just for listeners, the reason you'd want a company to be in that space, A, you have recurring revenue, B, you have, yeah. obviously, investors see that as sometimes a two to three markup we can give you, two to three X, sometimes we'll see as far as an investment into your company, uh, even when you're in the public markets, versus not uh, having that. But then you then you can not be so reliant on the advertising space. You can be maybe more selective, or maybe they're more selective of you, and that's not, you know, you can mitigate that. Yeah. Um, you don't think it's going to work there at Twitter, the subscription play? I don't think it's going to work because the people who get enough value out of Twitter to pay for it are people with large followings who would want to maintain their channel and get some sort of extra benefit. There's just not enough of them mm. to actually support a business that size. What do you think of Twitter moving forward um, two years down the road, four years down the road? Where do, where do you think it's at? You know, Twitter will follow the same path that a lot of companies have followed. They have strong network effects, which is why they're able to continue going, despite the fact that Elon Musk seemingly wakes up every day trying to find ways to destroy the business. And network <laughs> effects are powerful. And this is why I like to tell people Craigslist has been running on autopilot for the past 30 years and never, right. never making a single change. And it still generates a billion dollars of cash per year. It's powerful. So like a zombie, Twitter will continue to lurch forward for some time. The only problem for Elon Musk is he paid $44 billion for that thing. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. Like, you know, and I've, already, I've had this debate with friends. He paid probably $25 billion too much for it, maybe even yeah. more. Yeah, you know, um, if he hadn't been involved in the, when the tech crash happened, because I know I'm heavily invested in my private in my private portfolio in tech. I've just yeah. been for 15 years, even. So I saw that, and Twitter was staying higher than it should have. Uh, I, I much more believe in Apple's core product and trajectory, yeah. and you know, Google and all of these companies and Amazon even, and it, it, it stayed higher. And he did it to himself, kind of, you know, just because he wanted he to be. Did it, he did it to himself. He, he had no impulse control. He tried to wriggle out of buying the thing because he knew it was a disaster. Yeah. And then when he realized he couldn't wriggle out, he decided to just lean in and say, "Well, f it. You know, I'm going to be losing tens of billions of dollars anyways. What does it matter?" 
with his brand name, he was able to get that deal done. But because yeah. of that, his brand name, it was that expensive, right? I mean, it, yeah. it's exactly it. Uh, so, you know, all these folks who, and then just to kind of put a uh, kind of a period on this, the folks that invested alongside of him, why would they invest at this? Because they want to be a part of his other companies, right? Exactly. That's it. SpaceX, the Boring Company, all these other things he has, you know, the Neuralink uh, and then Starlink, I think it's called, right? Yes. As both well. of them. He runs both, both of them. Both of them are incredible, <laughs> right? And are they all under, which ones are under the Tesla umbrella right now? So none Space. of the other ones are under Tesla's umbrella other than <laughs> SolarCity. So Solar Tesla City. acquired gotcha. SolarCity, right. but SpaceX, Neuralink, these are all separate entities. Okay. And that's probably a good thing from their perspective. SpaceX is an incredible business that I think is going to ultimately be worth far more than Tesla. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, pull back. General Elon Musk thoughts. Do you know him, by the way? I do not know Elon particularly well. I have met him in person once, had dinner with him and his brother and a number of other people. This was before the Tesla days. This was post PayPal acquisition, pre-Tesla. And, you know, it, frankly, as sad as it may be, it, it didn't make a huge impression on me. At the time, I was like, I was curious because I'm like, I want to know whether this guy is lucky or good. And it wasn't clear at that point in time whether he was lucky or good. Since then, he's clearly proven that he is a genius. A lot of people criticize yeah. Elon. They don't like what he's doing. I don't like what he's doing either, but it makes no sense to deny his accomplishments. All that does Fair. is that it, it gives his stands a, a reason to discount any criticism you make. Because like, oh, well, if they deny that Elon Elon Musk has accomplished things and clearly they're idiots. And that's right. probably true. He took industries and products that nobody th thought would ever work. Like, for example, electric cars have been dead for decades. He yeah. turns the entire industry is going electric. And it's because of Elon it's Musk. Beca it's because of him. Yeah. Space flight. Do you know how many successful orbital launches there were by private space companies prior to SpaceX? Zero. Two. Two. <laughs> there were two in the history of space flight. That had occurred wow. before Falcon, uh, the first Falcon shot into orbit. So these are things that were literally impossible. And anyone who discounts them now is foolish. This guy is amazing. He has benefited humanity tremendously. We're very lucky mm -hmm. that he happened to be alive and chose to move to the United States and do these things in this land of opportunity. Yeah. However, he is also an idiot. Uh, he yeah. is destroying value at Twitter left and right. He is damaging the fabric of democracy. He has allowed himself to essentially be reverse cult captured, right? Normally you have mm. a cult leader and the cult leader then draws in all these followers and, and exploits them. What has happened with Elon Musk is the opposite. He was already one of the richest men in the world when he got captured by these cultists. And yeah. I think it's because... During the pandemic, he started defying the COVID authorities locally in the Bay Area. And, of course, you know, the mainstream media, which had been talking about the amazing Elon Musk, Thomas Edison of our times, is like, this guy's a jerk. What's he doing? And meanwhile, here's all these other people saying, hey, Elon, you're awesome. You can't do any wrong. Yeah. And so who does he listen to? He listens to the people who flatter him and worship him as opposed to the people who have, you know, an objective sense of what's actually happening in the world. I agree with everything you're saying. So he's, you know, I the mindset he's he's shifted that whole entire the paradigm of the, the yeah. auto industry, right? That's yeah. solely because of him. You can give him sole credit for that. He didn't even found Tesla, but Tesla was a, you know, there are two couple ex GM folks I think who yeah. went to my undergrad before I did uh, U of I Urbana Champaign, uh, well before I did, and then he kind of came on was an early investor, but it happened because of him, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be what it is without him. And, you know, car companies are without EV plays are valued less, much less than ones with that play. Now, he's entered this realm of people 
who I thought for a while were uncancelable. And I put to, right now I could just think of three easy ones. Elon, Kanye, Trump. Kanye's kind of canceled himself. Yeah. Looks like Adidas and he have reached an agreement as far as he'll get some sort of re- revenue from the sales of the remaining inventory because there's quite a bit. And he'll probably yeah. make a couple hundred million dollars on that, I'm assuming, which might last him 18 months of runway of personal <laughs> you know, life expenses. Who knows? Right. He's uh, on so the he Mike Tyson find, plan. I, I, I met, I met uh, Kanye and he was this guy, but this is 2003 in Chicago at a music conference. And he was, I didn't know who he was, but he was just just for the blueprint. But he was talking this kind of crazy back then without the couple billions to his name. I remember Elon, we had to have him, my friend, not my, I don't, I take no credit for this. My friend was having him attend a conference 2016, 17, around that time. Yeah. Very last minute, he kind of moved out. We had it all set up, hotel, everything. There were a lot we were working on this guy for three months. And then he pulled out last minute, sent his mom instead. May Musk, who's equally incredible, yeah, by the great, way. Yeah, great speaker. I'm sure she was great. I'm sure she killed. Health and wellness. She's a yeah. model. She's just, in, in, she owned the room. You could tell, hey, not only I stand on equal footing with my son, I brought him to this world. That's I can right. take him out type of thing, right? And Kimball's great too. Kimball, you know, yeah. with the food. Kimball, I know what he's Kimball's doing there. Kimball's a great guy. I've spent, really interesting. I, I actually spent more time talking with Kimball that dinner than I did with Elon. Yeah, great, great guy. Um, and you know, so one, uh, one thing, and we'll, and we'll get back to the three the yeah. three figureheads I just mentioned. But like, uh, it's funny when Gavin Newsom, and I'm not to get in the political world, <laughs> Elon agreed to do uh, bring the headquarters back to your back to the West Coast into California, right. your state. And you know, Gavin Newsom looked like the powerful one in that little video clip. It just seemed odd, right? Because you think Elon is untouchable type of guy. But he looked like he was humbly coming back. And in that video, and maybe that's just his stance, his physical appearance, whatever it is, because Gavin Newsom looks like, you know, he probably, probably played, I think he did play football, right? Uh, I think he's a he's, UCLA he's, he guy. He seems like he's an athletic guy. I also call him American Psycho because he looks just like Christian Bale. And, fair and point, fair playing. point. Yeah. That's Thank great. Patrick what do you man. think of those? So those three, they've, they've somehow in this echelon, they've built incredible businesses off this branding of becoming these polarizing figures, right? So... That's why they double and triple down because they can get that kind of following, right? Yeah, but that's the thing. You know, I, the irony is you can take a look at someone like, you know, Donald Trump and he has benefited from this polarization because there's no other reason why people would pay attention to him. I and mean, he's a loser. Exactly. Kanye yeah. was a great musician, great artist with billions of fans. Elon Musk, one of the most admired people in the world. They chose to take these enormous assets, which would have continued making them far more money because I'm telling yeah. you what's going on right now with Twitter and Elon is not helping Tesla sales. And yeah. they flushed it down the toilet for the sake of personal reasons that are largely irrational. <laughs> so let's jump here. Anything you want to touch on on, on, on Bliss Gilling? We, did we wrap that conversation in your... No, I think we I think we wrapped it pretty well. The only thing I'll mention, just because you have students who are probably doing some amazing work at some point in time, is yeah. that you know Blitzscaling has also led into Blitzscaling Ventures, which invests in great companies. So we're looking for fantastic companies that are going to Blitzscale that have already raised money from some great investors and always interested in, in meeting entrepreneurs like that. And we have a okay. Blitzscaling Academy for people who want to dive deeper into Blitzscaling, you can just look at blitzscalingacademy.com and look that up. Uh, but that, other than other than the standard podcast plugging, I think we got it pretty wrapped. Are you? Are you? Uh, what's so? Your look is it Series A? Is that what you said? You said if they've already have funding. So we typically are going to look at companies that invest at either the Series A or Series B. 
stage. Okay. Uh, we're looking for companies that have either taken investment from a big name VC or are about to take investment from a big name VC because we don't lead the rounds. We are a part of the syndicate and we want to make sure that there's a responsible adult on the board helping provide that corporate I governance. Get it. You know what? That's a, this is going to be really, I think, helpful for students. So the size of your checks at that Series A, Series B level, write that, and then I'm going to ask you another personal question if you're okay with it, and you can yeah, cut this sure, out if you want. Sure thing. So go. what's the size of that check, the Series A, Series B? We write a $1 million check, and so we're a small part of the round. Standard. That's kind yeah, of your... That's our standard okay. amount. And how, size of the fund? $35 million. Okay, so you're expecting probably... Okay, so earlier stage funds, you park about half of that for late tag-on investment, uh, what are you doing at Series A, Series B? So are you going after, let's say, 35 companies? Are you really doing, let's go after half and then double down? Yeah, so on the ones we are, are. Our, our target is about 20 companies or so. And okay. we'll save some of it for follow-on investing. We also make some of our uh, some of our allocation available to our LPs via SPV so they can double down on the companies they like the most. Our LPs like that. Okay, so you and I have invested in a company together. And then we'll probably do a slew of others. I'm going to send some your way yeah, as well. Absolutely. Early on. Let's just say early, early stages. And I, I want to ask, you know, people like Jason Kalanas is like, you know, from all his po- yeah. days and I, he's written small checks and then now they're yeah. much larger, right? Oh, yeah. What like what? So in your early investments, what have you written? Like seed stage? What, what were the size of those checks? Oh, when I first started off, I had to write $5,000 checks. I mean, okay. I was I was not really wealthy enough. I shouldn't have been writing these checks, but I could claim that I was wealthy enough thanks to uh, back then the accreditation standards were a little looser. And so okay. thanks to the money I had in non-public companies, in theory, though, those made me wealthy enough to, to actually make these investments. If I wrote $5,000 checks, and you know, as I got wealthier, I could write slightly larger checks. But right. The value in being an angel investor is not in the financial return. It's not a great financial return on your time. If you actually look it up and figure out how much you get paid, unless you're Jason and you happen to have invested in Uber with one of those checks, it's <laughs> not going to be worth that much. I mean, you'll get good Which he returns. never talks about. I'm kidding. He talks about it a lot. Yeah, he talks about it all the time. As he should. As he should. <laughs> yeah, he championed them. So he, he deserves the credit. Uh, this is one of those funny stories. He invited me to a meeting of angel investors to look at Uber, but I couldn't make it. I had some family obligations. So that cost me another, I don't know, $50 million or something. Yeah, okay. Oh, well. You could be Elon, technically. Uh, okay. <laughs> it is more, astonishing more, how, how often I have managed to avoid making money. It's pretty amazing. More measured, though, I, I would say. Uh, I don't want to put a nail all the way in Bliskilly. If you, if you have a few more minutes, I would love to ask you a few more things. Yeah, so you please. said, hey, sometimes you don't have to create your own innovative aspect. In this book, you had something along the lines of, build a tangential business around something that already exists. And I look at like a uh, Vinod Kosla in your backyard, Sun Microsystems, he saw that, hey, video is going to be a thing in the future. So he built his entire business around bandwidth, right? Increasing the bandwidth and became a multi-billionaire from that. And he had, I think Oracle was in, was trying to get a part of that deal. They they told him no, and they came back to him, I think within a couple weeks after they understood what was happening, Try to offer him a certain check. He said, "Nope, that's not good enough." Now, and he built it to even much larger. Like so, d- give us a little bit what you explained in your book there, coming straight from the the creator himself. So, if you think about, it, people are always thinking, "Hey, you know, I got to create this innovative new technology, and that's how I'm going to make a lot of money." And that's great. You need technological innovation because that is what basically scrambles the market, makes it up for grabs, gives you new opportunities. But a lot of times, it's not about having the most amazing technology. I don't think there's any particularly amazing technology behind Facebook. 
it is a question of understanding, hey, what are the second order or third order consequences of technological change? So it's not always the most obvious thing. Right now, everyone is talking about AI, 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 ChatGPT. Yeah. I can't go through a day without hearing ChatGPT 20 times, it seems. Yeah. And so people would say, oh, well, I better build my own ChatGPT. No, that's crazy. They've already done that. And it's going to be very difficult to catch up. What you have to do is to say, what does ChatGPT complement? What mm-hmm. is now going to grow very rapidly because of ChatGPT? I can't profit off it directly, but I can profit off of the complementary businesses that are going to grow as a result of it. Uh, so, for example, one of the predictions I made in my personal blog is that we're going to see an explosion of comic books because comic books mm, have historically yes. been very expensive to produce. And with AI-based art, more people who are capable of writing these stories will be putting them out. There'll be even more. It'll be more difficult to filter through. But that's the same thing that's happened with YouTube and video. So it's just going to be an explosion of a particular art form. And then you would say, well, how are, am I going to make money off that? Is it as an individual comics creator? Well, probably not. There's no way to become a billionaire that way. But will there be, you know, in the future, better ways, a subscription service, a comic book marketplace or something like that. I think that's entirely possible. And so that's an example of thinking about tangential things, thinking about the the complementary products and the second order effects that allows you to say, hey, maybe there's something here. Yeah. And do you see, okay, let's go back to our buddy Yvonne here. Do you see this becoming, this could be dangerous as well. I I see the pros. There's pros and cons to everything. You create guns and then obviously things happen, right? And you create every one of our cars could be hacked that are these EVs and then yeah. they could become missiles, right? Let's drive them all into this, whatever. Let's, you know, somebody hacks it from afar and then crash them into something yeah. and cause, you know, disruption. Uh, what, okay. So we, okay, we have, we have ideas, we have tech that has to meet those ideas at some point that we build once the tech catches up to these ideas because yeah. we can think much easier, uh, create innovatively and then have to build those things. And then tech comes, then we put them into market, they start getting you know in the public markets and then we need sometimes regulation once we see, oh, this is what yeah. can and can't, shouldn't be happening and yeah. then this is the, the way it should be used. We're having a lot of disruptive forces come to market all at once now. And I don't remember a time where AI, robotics, auto, autonomous driving, genome sciences, where there's a lot happening there. How, yeah. how This is great and scary at the same time. Where do you think five years from now where we are on some of these things? I know that's a very loaded question, but and so, the, so, the world you know, rests on your shoulders here. So go for as it. The classic, as the classic <laughs> saying goes, it's difficult to make predictions, especially about the future. Sure. Uh, I'll go ahead and do it anyways. The high level thing is to just know, I mean, one of the things we talk about in blitzscaling is the importance of self-regulation because people will say, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we'll, we'll, ask, we'll ask forgiveness. I'm like, that's true, but eventually people get sick of that. So right. if you regulate yourself first, somebody else is not going to put a target on you. You don't need to regulate yourself such that you can't do anything. You just need to regulate yourself more than the other guy so that when the FTC is looking around, they don't look at you. Right, you just Fair. mentioned that's Mark great. Zuckerberg now. Yeah, no, people aren't beating up on him as much anymore because there's bigger targets. And yeah. so you don't need to be perfect. You just need to be better than other people so that you're not in the crosshairs. In terms of where these things are going, I mean, you just think about the incredible value. You mentioned genomics and synthetic biology. It's incredible, right? The ability yeah. to make our lives healthier, to cure and treat diseases that were never treatable before. Obviously, one of my well, one of my classmates is the CEO, founder and CEO of Moderna. Uh, they help 
build a vaccine to yeah. basically blunt the the force of a global pandemic in record time. So we have incredible things coming up. I just hope that we can all live long enough to benefit from these various medical sure. advances. On the AI side, the way I put it is, you know, we are replacing brain power with compute in the same way that the Industrial Revolution replaced muscle power with steam and electricity. And the consequences mm. are going to be enormous. In the next five years, we are going to automate so many things. And there will be disruption. The Industrial Revolution did, in fact, reduce employment in certain areas. There are people who are going to be disrupted. And we have to you know, acknowledge that and hopefully have enough of a social safety net to be able to cushion that kind of a blow. But all of these things, there, I think it, and I think it's quite possible that within the next five years, people will actually have made it through the trough of disillusionment to the other side for things like blockchain and cryptocurrencies, because there are real values for them. We are actually looking at doing a blockchain currency uh, investment in the next couple of weeks because we think that there's a way they can add real value. I'm, I'm, I've seen a lot in the entertainment. We invest sports, entertainment, media yeah. space, right? And I've seen a lot trying to disrupt that space. And some of them make quite a bit of sense. Some don't. And then some others do. And we talked about some in class last yeah. night. So I'm excited about the space. And once it settles down, it's it's good. What's his name? Uh, the SB. What's, oh, my God. The guy with the crazy hero. Just SBF, right? Oh, Who, yes. Uh, SBF. Brankman uh, uh, Fraud or whatever his name is. Uh, he just, you know, it's good that you're disrupting some of those final folks and cleaning that out because uh, yeah. the world should see that that's there's you know that that happens peter diamandis back to your point you just made hey yes. hopefully we live long enough to see some of this if you've attended any of his lectures and you meet the he's that's he lives this life right and he's he's the kind of guy that you want to become a billionaire create something at low cost that a billion people need and boom you'll get there right uh you know yeah. you know they'll, they'll pay a dollar for he was saying Okay, if you're 30, you're not going to become 15 again. If you're 50, you're not going to be 20 again. But if you can keep yourself relatively healthy, don't die of something silly in the next 10 years, that our, our health sciences, genome science, all of these things have caught up to a point where we can keep you healthy even longer, right? So just don't die of something stupid. <laughs> that is his exact quote in the last next year. So do you have quotes like that? Um, I, I, I want to get a so, criticism because we got you know Peter Thiel, comp- competition is for losers. Peter, you know Peter Diamandis said this. What what's what's a criticism? <laughs> so there's a there's a couple that I, I like to use a lot. One of them is <clears throat> one of them is in terms of doing due diligence on your investors. So I always tell people if if you are thinking about taking investment from venture capitalists, listen, you should be doing more due diligence on them than you do on your employees Fair. because you can fire your employees. Fair. That's great. That's great. Okay. I like it. That's that's a good one. I've taken a ton of your time. I would like to go another two hours, but I know um, we're not going to do that to you. <laughs> Appreciate your time. Are yeah, you? Yeah, but we got to we got to do your uh, what is it the, the the favorite whiskey? This is the whiskey. The whiskey. Podcast, what, right? do you, so you're a whiskey man, uh, right? So I've been trying to I've been trying to learn about it during the course of the pandemic. That was one of the things okay. where I realized as a middle aged man, I needed to learn more about this whiskey stuff since everyone loves it so much. It's amazing. So come on over anytime. I have a, a huge library full of, uh, I'm not talking books either. Uh, it's, it's, nice. uh, so, and it's funny. Actually, one a gentleman who just spoke at our class two weeks ago, he lives near me now. I mean, I live near him now. I just moved to that area. And he has a, a whiskey club he started every three months. Do you know Shahid Khan? He's, he's had two exits, uh, Mediamorph, um, uh, Mag something consulting consulting so he's he's now at a arthur d little uh, nice. as their global head of media strategy but 
He, he's a great guy as well, but he's like, he's getting me into this whiskey club he has once a quarter. I'm excited about that. Um, so you're, what's a go-to whiskey for you if you had one? Well, I will say this. Uh, I have had a number of generous friends. I went to one one friend's house, as a matter of fact, uh, who it's not Reed, but a different friend, who poured me some Pappy Van Winkle. So I got to try that okay. as well. Everyone always wants to try some Pappy. So I had a chance to yeah, try that. Some pricey stuff right there. Very pricey <laughs> stuff. He's a very rich friend. But in terms of the whiskey that I would probably reach for first, and I am not an extravagant guy, right? I don't want to spend $10,000 on a bottle of bourbon. That just seems insane to me. But what I would say would be a go-to would be Woodford Reserve Double Oaked with some kettle corn on the side because the sweet and salty corn emphasizes the flavors of the bourbon, which of course is primarily corn. Look at you, sophisticated. You're bringing not only the actual liqueur, but you're bringing a, a complimentary piece to the table. I like that. You know, Woodford Reserve has made quite a few appearances. When guests have come on, that's their go-to. It's a sexy-looking bottle, and it's not that pricey. And you got to right? get the double oaked. So standard yeah. Woodford Reserve is fine. Brown Foreman puts out a lot of great products. I probably prefer Fair. some of their old Forrester products to standard mm-hmm. Woodford Reserve. But the Woodford Reserve double oaked, which is really the thing that kicked off the double oaked craze, is just special, and I think it's even better than Old Forester 1910, which a lot of people swear by. Interesting. It's smooth. My go-to is like an Oban. Oban. When you're in Scotland, they make you pronounce it properly. I love that one. It's a Uh, go-to. You know, I have a harder time with the peaty scotches. I'll I'll take a scotch, but, you know, the peat side is not as appealing to me. Uh, Japanese whiskeys I've really liked as well. And uh, I have... you know, so a friend of mine, so he he was at a, he ran a hedge fund. He had the, he had the four hundred dollar bottle of the Japanese whiskey. I won't mm-hmm. uh, forget it's it's one of the centuries, I think. Uh, yeah. It was okay. I mean, it yeah. wasn't worth four hundred dollars to me, right? Uh, That's right. I could go with a seventy five dollar bottle of Oban or something, or even like a Singleton, which is forty fifty bucks. You don't, you know, uh, and be just as satisfied. I think uh, but, exactly. Yeah. And, and you can get Woodford Reserve Double Oak for like forty five fifty bucks as well. I mean, you don't have to go yeah. crazy in order. To have, like yeah. I said, I've had Pappy, and it was like, hey, this is fine, but you know, yeah. I wouldn't pay ten thousand dollars a bottle for this. I love it. I love it. And then how about one other party note? Content. Anything you recommend? I, you know what? I just came. I might be stealing your thunder here. Yeah. I went through your Twitter profile earlier today and this Ted Lasso conference. What the hell's going on there? Is, are you your big Ted Lasso guy? Yeah. So I'm a Ted Lasso guy. Uh, so we have organized these global fan conferences for each season. We did I love it. Lasso Con 1 to celebrate season 1, Lasso Con 2 to celebrate season 2. And we're doing Lasso Con 2 and a half on March 12th. And you can just look up LassoCon and you'll find it. We have a Twitter account. There's a link to where you can register. And we're doing this because there was such a long layoff between season two and season three, which is premiering March 15th. We want to get everyone amped up again. And then we'll have a blowout LassoCon three after season three because this is apparently the final season. So we got to go out with a bang. Yeah. Okay. Good for him. I mean, good for Apple too, right? They've done yeah. they've done well with this series. Good for them. Absolutely. But this has been incredible, Chris. I really appreciate it. Uh, I know the students are going to love it. Our Whiskey Hue audience is going to love this. So you've been incredible. I've been wanting to get you on for a long time. If you're in New York, let's get you in class sometime, or let's get you at some events. We're going to be doing some pretty interesting things moving forward, even with the Whiskey Hue group. So thank you so much, Chris. My pleasure, and thank you so much. Sorry it took so long. Schedules have been busy, but I have yeah. enjoyed it greatly. Appreciate it. Thank you. 